Coming up on this week's show, we have three authors for the price of one. There's Rosalind Abel, Mildred Abbott, and a super secret special guest. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 153 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. This week's episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. We will have more information on how you can join us there in just a few moments. It's been a pretty great week. We celebrated an anniversary. Yes, we did. 21 years since we were married on the stage of the Ferndale Repertory Theater one Saturday afternoon. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you, sir. It is just warms my heart. I've been with this man almost for half of my life, 21 of 50 years, and I could not be happier. So I look forward to about a million billion more. Me too. (laughs) Uh, We do need to give some congrats this week. Uh, Jess won the first book in the Critter Catcher series from Hank Edwards that we gave away back in 151. So congrats, Jess. Hopefully you're enjoying that book very much. In the Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the schoolteacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Vince Sterling, wherever you buy books. So we've watched a lot of TV. TV is kind of in that little weird in-between spot between the summer shows that basically ended and we're waiting on the fall stuff. So we've been looking at random stuff. And we even had a little Christmas moment this week as we watched The Man Who Invented Christmas. This is essentially the behind-the-scenes tale of how Charles Dickens created uh, the seminal holiday (laughs) classic, A Christmas Carol. Um, It's, of course, common knowledge that... Uh, Dickens wrote um, the short novella, A Christmas Carol, uh, very quickly. Uh, he did it for the money. Uh, and plus, <laughs> well, well, yeah. He, yeah he the needed, man had bills. <laughs> he had bills. Uh, he was essentially a, a rock star in his day, uh, having tremendous amount of success. Uh, but unfortunately, a couple of books um, met with... Um, not as much enthusiasm as he was used to, um, so he needed to pay the bills, uh, and Christmas was fast approaching, uh, so he wrote a novella about a miserly Scrooge who is visited by three different ghosts, uh, when we all know that story. This movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, purports to tell the tale uh, about uh, the situation that Dickens found himself in 
and how he was inspired to create um, a classic so very quickly. Um, filled with wonderful performances, uh, I especially liked Christopher Plummer as Scrooge. Yes. In, in the movie, um, it's sort of... The, the whimsical take is that Dickens talks to his characters and encounters his characters in his everyday life. Uh, Scrooge is, of course, one of them. Uh, and I thought Christopher Plummer was really, really wonderful. Yeah, he was a delight. And I, I completely loved... You, know, you follow any author on Facebook for very long, and many of them talk about hearing those characters in their head, and here you see it play out, and kind of the madness that the author can end up in when the characters don't want to behave. And that was exactly where Dickens found himself. So it's a delight. It's actually streaming. I believe that we watched that on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might want to check that out. Uh, something else we were looking at in the in the film category was a documentary about the He-Man series and how that whole thing started with Mattel Toys. It was called The Power of Grayskull. Uh, we're both pretty major He-Man fans. We've talked about He-Man periodically on the show. And uh, this was a delight. I had no idea all the ins and outs, despite the fact that we've seen documentaries about Filmation Studios, which is the company that uh, created He-Man, the cartoon series. We've also seen a documentary as part of the Toys That Made Us series about the creation of the toys. And this kind of blended all that together in a nice package, I thought. Your thoughts on He-Man? Uh, it's really good. Uh, I highly recommend checking out The Power of Skull as well as the Masters of the Universe episode of The Toys That Made Us. Uh, both of those are available on Netflix. Um, that gives you a, uh, a well-rounded idea of the creation of the toy line and the series that followed uh, and its eventual downfall. Yeah, including the the 1980-something film uh, of He-Man as well. That all gets kind of blended up in this epi- in, into this series. Uh, also, really quickly, we want to mention that we've been watching some competition shows on Netflix. Uh, usually, well, most people who've listened to the show here uh, know that we are... Uh, Unfortunately, we watch way too much Food Network. Uh, <laughs> so uh, for the moment, we've given up on Food Network, and now we are watching baking shows on Netflix. Uh, Sugar Rush recently premiered, and it is essentially a Food Network-style competition baking show. The twist is that um, each of the teams of bakers have a limited amount of time to complete the first two rounds. Uh, the faster that they finish rounds one and two, uh, the leftover time they have uh, gets banked, essentially, and they can use that extra time in round three. And you want that time when you're making the presentation big cake thing. I've really enjoyed this show. Candace Nelson, who used to be on Cupcake Wars, is a head judge here. There's a really cool guy from Australia uh, who is apparently the king of macaroons over there who's doing... Uh, the one of the also judge and there's a guest judge every week too. Colin Hanks showed up as one and he was he was awesome for the sci-fi episode. And there have been some disastrous episodes in here too, at least one. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been a nice little break in the summer to to check that out. Recently, we of course have finished a couple of books. Jeff, why don't you kick us off? Yes, this will be a brief one because Will gave the big lowdown on Lucy Lennox's Hudson's Luck last week. Uh, no big surprise, uh, this fourth installment in the Wild Books uh, really caught my attention and is 
it's right up there with my favorites of the four. Uh, Hudson, Hudson and Charlie. Uh, oh, I love this couple oh so much. Uh, to very briefly recap what Will went into last week, Hudson's gone over to Ireland. He has broken up with his girlfriend who mistakenly thought he was getting ready to propose to her. Uh, he's gone over to look into taking over this Irish pub, this family's Irish pub business that uh, his boss wants to take over. Uh, the family is in trouble with the pub, uh, and Charlie ends up showing Hudson around the property, getting everything ready kind of for the acquisition, although he doesn't really know that at the time. Uh, long story short, Charlie ends up in Hobie, Texas, where for some reason they're opening this Irish pub. Doesn't really make sense. You noted that last week, but it was a little strange. But these two keep getting drawn closer together. Uh, Hudson comes to terms with the fact that he's at least bisexual in his in his orientation and as Hudson comes to grips with that and the fact that Charlie may go back to Ireland and Charlie knows that Hudson may or may not be gay these two have their things to work out but this is on the very low angst side they do keep talking to each other they find their way through it as always the wild family those grandpas are so incredibly awesome uh, a couple other things that I really liked in this book. There, chapter one has Hudson on the plane going to Ireland, and he is sitting near these older women, uh, elderly women. I, I think of them as grandmas. I think he did too. Um, they give him such shit. It's so awesome. The conversation that goes down with them. Uh, Michael Pauly also ends up doing some amazing Irish pub singing in the book i don't know what lucy if lucy knew she was going to throw that to him originally or if it just kind of worked its way into the book but that was awesome and again it's just a super sweet story i love these people so much i can't wait for the next wild book and in particular this one also made me long for the book that lucy's talked about that somewhere in this series that is the story of the grandpas because they just continue to really shine uh, but yeah i like this very low angst installment in the wild series it's hudson's luck Lucy Lennox with a audio uh, narration from Michael Polly. Go pick it up. And if we haven't convinced you of that, I don't know what else will between the two of us. <laughs> now, you also read this week. Uh, this past week, I dipped my toe into the historical waters, uh, and I read The Duke in Denial by Alexandra Ainsworth. This is a book I picked up um, earlier this year because I was on a Cat Sebastian binge, and I was looking for some uh, historical sexy times. Uh, I picked this book up, uh, and I have finally gotten around to reading it. And uh, long story short, I enjoyed it an awful, awful lot. Uh, real quickly, um, there's Sebastian. He is the Duke that is in denial. Um, he has recently come into his title. His cousin died, uh, and since uh, Sebastian is the last in his line, uh, he's become a Duke, and he's a inherited a manor house and he's decided that you know he's going to step up to the plate and uh he's going to run this estate uh part of that is is that uh he's come to london and he is uh, essentially searching for a wife and on his way to uh swanky london soiree uh the wind uh gusts and blows his hat into a tree and uh the manly uh william uh, a captain in the army, saves his chapeau. <laughs> Very gentlemanly of him. Uh, they begin to talk, and they go to a corner pub nearby uh, and get to know one another. There's immediate attraction, uh, and then they end up going to the party. 
where Sebastian is introduced to Dorothea. Uh, she's essentially going to be his match in the future uh, Lady of the Manor. Now, Dorothea was actually the fiancé of Sebastian's cousin. Uh, he died, and so it's, it's, you know, the gentlemanly thing to do is he's going to make her a respectable lady. Uh, that's what's going to end up happening. Uh, we also find out that Dorothea is actually William's sister. <laughs> so there's like a whole bunch of familial complications right off the bat. Um, eventually, uh, at uh, Sebastian and Dorothea's engagement party, uh, William and Sebastian share a kiss out in the gaze boo. <laughs> um, that's unfortunately witnessed by someone, uh, so that's going to cause problems. Um, but despite all the drama, um, they can't keep their hands off of each other. Uh, William comes to Sebastian's rooms, and they have a little rendezvous. This, of course, freaks Sebastian out. Uh, after all, he's about to be married. So he runs away to the country, uh, to Sussex, uh, and his manor house on the uh, uh, eastern seaboard, uh, which is under the constant threat of invasion by Napoleon. Uh, so there aren't many people in this <laughs> small uh, section of the country. Um, once he gets there, um, it doesn't really do him much good because everyone uh, eventually follows him from London, uh, including Dorothea and William and the rest of the cast of characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, of course, creates more complications. Uh, the wedding date is moved up, which there's a ticking clock. Uh, so not only is there drama of the romantic kind, uh, there's all sorts of strange goings on at the house. Uh, the Haunted Manor, there's a headless ghost rumored to be uh, running about the countryside. There's a scheming neighbor with a murderous history who has like uh, genuinely deadly intentions against one of our two heroes. Um, there's a character who's supposed to be dead but isn't. Turns out he's alive. Plus there's smies and smugglers and all sorts of intrigue uh, that eventually gets wrapped up in a... Uh, fun, tidy, adventurous bow, uh, and our two heroes uh, <laughs> work out all of their... There's a whole lot of complications. Uh, work it all out and end up happily ever after in the end. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, Duke and Denial is the first book in the Scandal in Sussex series by Alexandra Ainsworth. You won't be able to find the ebook on Amazon, at least at this point right now. We are in September of 2018. Those ebooks have been removed from that particular platform. I did a little bit of investigation, and it turns out that this particular author has uh, stopped writing under this pen name. Uh, you can find the Alexandra Ainsworth ebooks on other platforms such as Nook and Kobo and Apple Books. So if Duke in Denial sounds interesting to you, you can check out the ebooks on those other platforms. I highly recommend the audiobook, uh, which is read by a uh, friend of the podcast, Joel Leslie. Um, Joel has a grand old time with accents in general, but in this particular book, I think he does an exceptional job. Um, there's um, a lot of angst. I think both of the characters at certain points in the narrative 
uh, for perfectly valid reasons, uh, feel uh, various shades of, of shame and denial uh, concerning their sexual orientation. But I think how um, Joel Leslie characterizes each of them, uh, that sort of angst is sort of brushed aside for the uh, passion and emotion that they both feel for one another. So kudos to Joel. I think he did an exceptional job. Uh, so I recommend checking out the audiobook of Duke in Denial. Very cool. Now, if you want to get any of the books we just talked about, the links are, of course, in the show notes. We do use affiliate links when you link off to Amazon. So if you pick up any of these or other books that we've talked about in the show, you will be helping us out a little bit, supporting the podcast with a few little Amazon pennies along the way. And as always, you can also help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. Uh, for as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Now, if you join us on Patreon, uh, not only do you get the uh, warm, cozy feeling of knowing that you're helping to support this show, you also get a bonus episode that we uh, essentially record, especially for our Patreon supporters. And we're actually going to be recording this month's bonus episode in just a few moments. Now, if you are interested in what shenanigans we get up to uh, <laughs> monthly, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That's where you can find out all the deets on how you can help support this show with a monthly pledge. Once again, that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Now, as I mentioned in the show opening, we have three fantastic authors for you uh, in this week's interview segment. We've got Rosalind Abel, who I have been just ranting and raving about the Lavender Shore series all summer long. I am so glad that we've got Rosalind here on the show. Um, also joining her is Mildred Abbott. Uh, she writes the Cozy Corgi mystery series. Uh, I absolutely uh, adored the few books that I've read so far in that particular series. Uh, and in this interview, we kind of get the down low from Rosalind and Mildred about the... Um, the creation of those uh, series characters and uh, what goes into creating a long-running series. But also, we have a super special secret guest that joins us for this interview. So shall we get to it? Let's do it. We're excited to welcome back Brandon Witt to the podcast. Uh, he was last here back at episode 48, talking about some of his latest works at the time. Now, some of you may have been looking for Rosalind Abel and Mildred Abbott in this episode. Uh, Brandon, might there be something you'd like to tell us? I have split personalities, so I'm all three. I'm Brandon Witt, Rosalind Abel, and Mildred Abbott, and who knows who next at this point. <laughs> that was Winifred. She is going to be sneezing a lot. She's suffering from allergies, so yeah. So yeah, so all three of us are right here. Excellent. Well, welcome all three of you to the show. 
Uh, listeners will know that uh, Will has been kind of binging this summer on both Rosalind and Mildred books and loving those t- to pieces, as he likes to say. Yep. Um, tell us the origin of your alter egos and, and what made you end up with this split personality. <laughs> um, well, luckily I'm a Gemini, so it comes easily <laughs> in that sense. Um, Rosalind, honestly, was kind of born out of... Uh, a moment of desperation, in a sense. I had been writing my Brandon Whit books for over four or five years, maybe more. Um, and they just, I had a few readers, but they just were not connecting like I was hoping that they would. Um, and it, I might be a Gemini and have split personalities, but I'm also extremely hard-headed and kind of dense, I think. It takes me a long time to bash my head against a wall before I realize... Oh, um, and I kept saying to all the romance readers out there, buy Brandon Whit books because they're gay romances. Um, because in my mind, they were. There were pretty little gay boys, and they had some romance and love. And <clears throat> um, But it took talking to some other authors who are much smarter than me, going, Brandon, you're not writing romance, to finally go, oh. I'm not writing romance. I'm writing fiction with romantic elements, but that's not a romance novel. And when I finally got that, I was like, okay. So in secret, I kind of wrote the first book, book and a half of Lavender Shores with the story being totally romance and all the other elements going around that to see if I could pull it off, to see if it was going to be something I would be proud of and enjoy doing. And luckily it was. It was kind of this relief to be like, oh, I can write different kinds of things. Um, So that's where Rosalind came from. And I wanted to make it very clear to readers that if you're wanting this kind of thing, read a Brandon book. If you're wanting this kind of thing, read a Rosalind Abel book. Um, Because it does get pretty confusing, you know, on what your expectations are from an author. Even in my Brandon Whip books, I have several, I don't know how many, seven, eight contemporary romances, but then I have three urban um, romance, or urban fantasy romances. And if I could do that again, I would probably have a different name for those, just because those are also very different. So if you're reading them, The Stars Fall, and then pull out Men of Myth, it's like, Farmer, Merman, this doesn't make sense. Although that could be a fun book, A Farmer, Merman. <laughs> we'll see. Another so, pit name might be born right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think so what, you, you bring up an interesting point. I, some readers may not really understand the, the thought process uh, that goes into the business decision of uh, taking on a new pen name. And then there are legitimate business reasons to do so. Yeah. There are. There's also legitimate reasons not to do so. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of them is social media. Having three different pin names on all these different platforms, I am constantly messing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that much social media, I can't keep up with the messages and it's literally impossible. So that's a reason not to do it. But I'd say there's more reasons to do it. Um, The main one being what I just said is to build 
a readership, a trust actually with my readership of going, when you get a Rosalind Abel book, you're guaranteed certain things. There might be all kinds of different twists and turns, but you're guaranteed a happy ending. Um, uh, <laughs> my, my dirty gay boy brain just went different places. <laughs> yes, in, in Rosalind Abel books, you're guaranteed that too, actually. Yeah. Um, whereas in Brandon Witt books, some of them don't have happy endings. Um, of either kind. So, and I, and I, I think, I don't think it was arrogance necessarily. I think it was more being naive, but I was expecting to just be able to write whatever I wanted to go, all these twists and turns and have this, I guess it is arrogance, expect all these readers to go, okay, we're going to follow you no matter what. That's not realistic. And it's not what I do as a reader, my favorite authors give me the, not the same story, but I know what to expect every time. And I return to them every time. Kelly Armstrong, um, J.R. Ward, um, on and on, I don't need to list them all. But, and actually I, did, I will, because Kelly Armstrong did a couple different books or different styles of books than what she had in the series that I love. And I was pissed because it went, what? This is not what I love. I felt kind of betrayed. And even as an author, I shouldn't have felt like that because I should get it, but I didn't. So I think that's where, for me, it's really important to have those different pen names so that you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for my craziness, it does help me to get into a certain frame of mind when I sit down to write that book. They're all Brandon in there. But I am in a different frame of mind when I'm writing Rosalind. I'm in a very different mind when I'm writing Mildred. Um, so it helps me too, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So readers know what to expect for the most part when they uh, open up a Brandon Witt book and they know what to expect when they opened a Rosalind Abel book. What made you decide to dip your toes into the cozy mystery waters and uh, start the Mildred Abbott series? I spend and always have a lot of time reading cozy mysteries and watching them back from when I was a kid. I read all the Nancy Drew books, all the Hardy Boy books, mm-hmm. but mainly Nancy Drew books, um, and several Agatha Christie's and all that. Some, pe- some readers consider Nancy Drew cozy mysteries, some don't. I do, but, um, and then a lot of what I watch is cozy mysteries, like Randy Fisher's murder mysteries and Father Brown. And so it's just another genre that I really, truly enjoy. Um, and as a writer, I wanted to write a whole bunch of different things. I still want to write even more other things. I have children's series I'm thinking of, fantasy series I'm thinking of that I hope to get to one day. Um, so Mildred is just another chance to do something else that I love. And it's actually made my Rosalind writing, I think, stronger because the way I'm doing it right now is I do a Rosalind, I write a Rosalind book and then the next one I write a Mildred book and kind of go back and forth. So it's kind of always fresh, um, and kind of like, Oh, okay. I get to go back here instead of, I have to stay in this frame of mind for the rest of my life. Um, and as a writer, I, I desperately needed that. So that came into play mm-hmm. as well. And it's just fun. 
And it must be nice to have two um, different worlds to play in. Because Lavender Shores is, is a very, very different than the uh, Denver town that uh, your heroine Fred lives in. Yeah, the Colorado town. Yes, they are. Um, although she, in the Cozy Mysteries, Fred lives in Estes Park. And in the Brandon Whit books, um, the Rocky Mountain Boys series takes place in Estes Park. Um, no one else is going to think this is cool but me, but I think I'm so clever. So here you go. Um, in the Rocky Mountain Boys series, there is a character named Rosalind Abel who came from my friend Nancy Hartman. And she um, helped Eric Arlen with a, get some of the equipment he needed when he was sick. And as a fun thing for that, I don't know what to call it, she got to create a character for that series. So she and I built this friendship as she built this Rosalind Abel character in the Rocky Mountain Boys series, which are based in Estes Park. Little did I know that that character, who's also writing books in that series, um, was going to be the pen name for the Lavender Shore series. And then also that Fred is going to be in Estes Park where all of this happens. So all three series have this weird little Brandon craziness loop. Again, that the rest of the world's like, okay. But when I look at them all on my shelves, I'm like, oh, look at that. They're all weirdly connected. That's a good so, Easter egg, though, for, for people who look. might see all of them. Yeah, exactly. We were also speaking briefly before we uh, started this interview that um, Fred is actually uh, has a, a connection to one of your earlier Brandon books. She does. In uh, Then the Stars Fall, um, one of the main characters is Wendy Bennett. If you've read that book, she's Travis's sister. She is just this powerhouse um, big, bold, redheaded woman who just does what she wants, but is really soft and sweet and all these things. And I just fell in love with her. Um, I have it in a lot of my Brandon books, the side characters steal my heart sometimes more than, or more than they should sometimes kind of nudging out the main characters for me. And she was one of those. And I don't have, a story for Wendy, unfortunately, to keep going with, and I missed her. So when I was thinking of the Cozy Mysteries, I'm like, I get to spend time with Wendy again. So I took the core of who Wendy Bennett was and ripped off myself, basically, and put her into Winifred Page um, so that I could basically spend more time with this character that I loved. And I'm glad I did, because... I love her so much. <laughs> Another one of the things we were talking about before is I'm seven, eight books into this cozy mystery series now, which is more than any other series I've done. Well, any, any, as I stutter, every other series, I tend to jump from couple to couple. So you always have a new lead. But in the cozy mysteries, it's Winifred all the time. And after seven and eight books, she and I are just tight. Like, I love this woman. I know her in and out. I know her probably more than I know myself. Um, 
And I didn't, I don't know why I didn't see that coming, but I didn't. But it's been a really fun thing, especially when it was all started with uh, with the character from In the Stars Fall. So, yeah. And we I guess it's kind of fan fiction of myself. I <laughs> <laughs> and we should say, of course, that Winifred is named based on the dog who sneezed earlier in the interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Actually, if you read that series... Well, Watson is the corgi, and he was based on almost identical to Alistair, my corgi that was Winifred's brother who passed. The only thing that's different there is Alistair was not brave at all, <laughs> but everything else. But if you read that series, you will find all my pets in human form. In book two, the Christmas one, there's a Christmas store, and it's owned by um, the Diamond family, Duncan, Dolan, and then the sister-in-law, Daphne. My old corgis were Duncan and Dolan, and I grew up with a poodle named Daphne. There's a bird shop owner named Myrtle. When I grew up, I had a chicken that would follow me around. Her name was Myrtle. So as you go through that series, all these people are actually just my pets. Not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> I love that Duncan and Dolan have new... Uh, characterization in these books because Duncan and Dolan showed up in some Brandon books. Yeah, they were in the as, or, as dogs. Yeah, and Alistair is also in um, the Rocky Mountain Boy series as Alistair. So, yeah. one big Brandon Whit world. <laughs> all about animals all the time. <laughs> so we've been talking about these two series, the Lavender Shore series and your cozy corgi mystery series. Um, and I've been singing their praises on the show, uh, quite a lot. I love both of them equally. They're both really amazing, but I'd like you to, uh, take a moment to tell our listeners when they pick up a Lavender Shores book, what are they going to get? What, what's the, um, what's the feel? What, what are they going to love most about this particular series? I'm going to sort of answer that question <laughs> um, and say how I think this, the series are similar because what you're going to get in both series is a large cast of characters. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Lavender Shores, like I said before, you're going to get different main characters all the time. And in the cozy mystery, you're getting Fred's POV all the time. But through both series, you see returning characters in every book. You get to learn more about them. And my favorite thing about any series that I'm reading, regardless if it's mystery or romance or fantasy, whatever, is I want to just settle back in with these people that I consider friends and family. And just, you know, as soon as you crack open the pages, you're like, oh, I'm back. I've missed you. Um, and that's my goal for those. For Lavender Shores, it's going to be this wacky town full of, it's this made-up town in California in the Point Reyes National Seashore, which is not made up, um, but it's full of these five founding families who have a little, well, not a little, a whole lot of taste of soap opera in them. Like, they're really proud that they're founding families, and there's all these expectations and money, and, but they're charming and flawed and ridiculous, and, and in the middle of all that, these men meet and fall in love and have to either are helped along by those founding families or sometimes thwarted by them. Um, so that's what you're going to find in Lavender Shores. You're going to find uh, um, every book is extremely focused on the romance 
and much more than in the Brandon Witt. You're going to find plenty of sex, honestly. Um, lots of sex in the Lavender Shore series. Um, and each character is going to be a little flawed. There's going to be some angst, but not too much angst. They're kind of bubblegum. Um, hopefully leave you happy and, and feeling cozy as well there. So that's the Lavender Shores, I would think. Um, you've not kept these pid names a secret. People follow you on social media. I mean, we kind of made it seem that way in the intro, like this was some big secret we were blowing. But you've been very open with it on social media, and your websites are somewhat connected, and everything's kind of connected together. Yeah. But you did have the opportunity recently to actually go to a book club with people <laughs> via Skype who were Mildred Abbott fans. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that interaction and what that was what that was like to actually have that kind of moment with people who may not have seen you at all on social media. You know, it was kind of like this. We were on Skype and I had been talking to the, I'm not sure if she's the head of the book club or the librarian there because they mean, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and I was very clear with her from the beginning, like, she contacted Mildred Abbott's email. Would you like to come? And I'm like, yeah, but I want to make sure you know that I'm Brandon Witt and Rosalind Abel. And cause the Brandon Witt and the Rosalind Abel readers, there's a, I mean, it's all crossover. Like they both, if one's willing to read one, they'll read the other. That's not necessarily so with the cozy mysteries. They may not be so okay with the whole gay romance thing. So I didn't want to shock anybody. She's like, no, we're all open-minded. We're great totally welcome come on down so <laughs> and i was nervous when i finally showed up like this on, on the book club and when my face showed up on their screen like this is mildred abbott i thought i saw some like oh okay. <laughs> you know like and i had a really big beard at that, <laughs> that moment as well um and then come to find out after she told me that she hadn't told the book club members that Brandon Witt was Mildred Abbott. So they played it off really well. Like they didn't scream or faint or um, they were all very sweet, very charming. And each of the cozy mysteries, there's a recipe in the back for whatever the pastry is of the moment. And they had actually made the lemon bars from book one. And so they were passing those around. It was really fun. Um, I have realized because all of my social media is connected and all that, but there's a lot of um, cozy readers that are not on social media. So I don't know if they will see this or not, how they'll feel about Brandon Witt looking, or Mildred looking like this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have, that was important to me from the very beginning to make sure everything was kind of on the table with everyone. Um, every pen name has their own website, but in the Brandon Witt website, it links to all of them. So, and the stories behind the pen names and, and all of that. Yeah, and, and briefly, let's talk about the pen names. Where, where yeah. you mentioned a little bit about where Rosalind Abel came from as a character, but then how did that become your pen name and Mildred Abbott too? Where, what's the origin on that one? I'll do Mildred first because it's not as romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Mildred, I just wanted, well, as you may have noticed, one of my dog's names, Winifred and Alistair and all the, I like, well, my parents are um, antique dealers when I was a kid. So all these old kind of fashiony names I just kind of love. So 
Basically, I just liked the way Mildred Abbott sounded and how it looked on the cover. It was between that and Myrtle. Um, Myrtle Abbott. And it settled on Mildred. So I just liked it. For Lavender Shores, I did talk about where Rosalind Abel came from in the Rocky Mountain Boy series um, from my friend um, who came up with that character. And in talking to her, she told me her birth name, she was adopted, and her birth name had been Rosalind Abel. Uh, so when she passed, I contacted her daughter and asked if it was okay if I used her birth name for the pin name, kind of to honor her. Because um, she had just passed a couple months before I made this decision. And her daughter took that question to the rest of the family, and they were all very, very gracious. Um, her real her name that she went by in real life was uh, Nancy Hartman, because when she was adopted, her parents named her, renamed her Nancy Hartman. And she actually had a book published through Wild City Press the year she died. Um, that had been a lifelong goal of Nancy's. So, And Nancy went to GRL a few times, um, had a pretty big role in the gay romance community. Uh, so a lot of people knew and loved her. So I was very honored that they let me use her birth name, Rosalind Abel, for that. That's awesome. She was a great, great lady. So a little bit on the on the business side, as you've gone down the path of Rosalind and Mildred, you're now self-publishing everything. So you're getting all the edits taken care of, getting the covers, making the books, looking at audio to do, because there's both series have a number of audio books out. How's that yeah. been to move from writer to really having this whole kind of production thing going on? Uh, I'm glad I didn't realize how much work it was going to be. Because <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have thought I could have done it. Because um, it is a lot of work. Um, but I'm very thankful. Well, I'm going to back up. Before I got published with Dream Spinner, I self-published The Shattered Door and my first fantasy series way back in the day. And nobody bought it, thank God. Because I was clueless. I just thought, you write this book, you edit it yourself, you stick a cover on it, and you publish it. And so that's what I did. I had read the things 80 billion times. They're embarrassing. Like, every word spelled wrong. There's not a punctuation mark that's right in the whole book. Um, and thankfully, Dream Spinner looked past that when they published those stories from their publishing house. And uh, my edits are so bad that they actually had to put a whole other round of editing into any book that I submit because I'm just not very bright <laughs> uh, and I can't spell to save my life. So it was thankfully from going from that experience with dream spinner is the only reason that I'm able to self publish because they taught me so much. And I realized how this is a duh comment, but just how important quality is because everything dream spinner does is of the highest quality. And so when I decided to do this, I wanted that, to match, obviously. So I have really amazing editors. I spend a small fortune in editing, and I have a team of, depending on the book, 15 to 30 beta readers um, that after the edits go through, they're tearing through each one of them and looking for misspellings and um, all of that. So it takes a literal village and a half 
on these self-published books to make me look even halfway literate. Um, so there's, there's a lot of people involved in this in helping me out, um, both in paid positions and in people that are just willing to be lovely and, and help. So, but yeah, the self-publishing, it's a lot of work, but it's also really fun. Like, um, I also format my own books and I'm such a control freak that it's really amazing to, I'm the one putting in the chapter header. I'm the one that's capitalizing the first two words and the beginning of the chapter and then it scene breaks. And like, I love that there's not one bit that I don't touch. Um, and of course, when you publish and someone contacts you about, did you know you made a mistake here? A dream spinner, you can be like, oh, that's my publisher. <laughs> really? Um, so there's that part too. Like if it's not the highest quality, then it's my fault. But I've loved that aspect. But yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have two amazing um, narrators for the audiobooks. I didn't have any plans to get Lavender Shores into audiobooks because I really wanted them to be quality and new with my budget, which is nothing, that no one would do it. And Kurt Graves, who did um, The Imperfection of Swans for me for Dream Spinner, contacted me like a gift from God, literally, and uh, was like, would you have any interest in me doing your Lavender Shore series? <laughs> like he was doing me a favor. So not, like he is my favorite narrator, period, so I, launched him or just not launched it latched onto him as like yes and you can never let me go you have to <laughs> um please 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 and yeah he's he's flawless and then uh angie hickman is doing the cozy stories cozy corgi stories um and she i don't know why she decided to take a chance on me either because she has a very good career without me um but i'm very grateful that she did she really especially with Fred's voice. Um, that was the deciding factor. Because you never know if you're going to hear, well, most of the time you don't hear the voices you do in your head. But when she read Fred, I was like, oh, that's her. That's totally Fred. So I'm very lucky in that sense as well. Great narrators. Yeah, definitely. I want to make sure everyone listening um, uh, for for the millionth time, I want to sing the praises of both these series. They are most definitely of the highest quality, and I highly recommend them. Uh, both of those series and audiobooks as well. They're both really, really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So, so before we wrap up this interview, is there any like maybe like sneak peek or tidbit you can uh, tell us about what's coming up in Lavender Shores or? Uh, and, uh, what, what might be going on with Fred at the Cozy Corgi? You got it. So in Lavender Shores, um, we are just getting ready for book eight. Eight? Um, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. And there's going to be 12 books in that series. Mm -hmm. uh, book eight is called The Wilderness, and it comes out either September or October. I'm waiting on It's those edits that we talked about earlier. I'm getting my main edits uh, back from my editor tomorrow, so I will know how many rewrites I got to do on that. Um, but that is following Will. Do I want to tell you who he's? No, I do not want to tell you who he's loving. <laughs> <laughs> that follows Will, who some of you met in the Glass House. Mm -hmm. He was 
uh, people hate Will from his character in The Glass House. So I really wanted to, and I didn't. I loved Will even then, even when he was an asshole. I'm like, I love this guy. Um, so this is kind of his redemption story, and I think he's one of my favorite characters I've written. Just love him. Um, so we got that coming up. And then after that is the bartender, Seth, who's everyone has been waiting for his story. So in book nine, the Victorian, Seth is coming. So he'll be out by, Seth will be out by Christmas, if not before. And in the Cozy Corgi series, Wicked Wildlife, which is book number eight, is coming in October. And this is, I've had the whole series of the Cozy Corgi mapped out from the beginning with some books that are just pivotal. And this is one. Lots of questions that have been lingering over the surface of the Cozy Mystery series get some answers in this one. And quite literally, everything changes. Um, so I'm excited for Wicked Wildlife to come out. And then after that, we have the Christmas edition, which is always fun, um, coming out in November or December. And that is going to be called Malevolent. I had to... I can write these words. I can't say them. Magic. <laughs> Malevolent magic. Uh, so that's coming out before Christmas. So. Fantastic. Go. So what are the website addresses where everybody can keep up with oh, not only Brandon Witt, but Rosalind and Mildred? So brandonwitt.com, uh, mildredabbott.com. I'm really original, as you can tell. Uh, and rosalindable.com. But with Rosalind, and they're, they're also on Instagram. And I'm not very good at Twitter, but they're on there. Um, but with the Rosalind Abel, there's also a sister website called LavenderShores.com, and I love that website. You can go there and see different houses in the town, see um, what Point Reyes National Seashore looks like. There's a whole cast of characters of faces that are pretty close to how I imagine them with their bios. Like You can kind of just get lost into exploring the actual Lavender Shores, so that's a fun website to visit. If you haven't yet. That's very cool. Brandon slash Rosalind slash Mildred, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking about all this good stuff going on. Thanks. It's so nice to be with you guys, always. So there you have it. Three people rolled up all into Brandon Witt. We thank Brandon for coming on to the show and talking to us about the creation of Rosalind and Mildred and what's coming up next in all of those series. Now, you, you got to see a little bit of Sneezy Dog there, and here's Sneezy Dog. If you want some super cute Sneezy Dog, go to YouTube and check out the closing seconds of this week's video after the uh, wrap-up from Derek McLean that usually is there, and you'll see a super quick, cute outtake as well. Yeah, Sneezy Dog's name is Winifred. She is adorable. She is adorable. Cute as a button, so uh, if you have a few extra moments, uh, hang around and watch the end of the video. I think that'll do it for this week, guys. So coming up in episode 154, Reese Ford will be here to talk about the latest in the 415 Inc. series. It's called Savior. Yes, I adore this book. I kind of gave a sneak preview of that a few weeks back, but I'll actually review it next episode. And Reese will be here to talk to us all about it. Sounds good. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.